is great to be together, to study the Word of God together, and we are in, in starting up, uh, launching a brand new series uh, called The Seven Deadly Sins. Now, undoubtedly, many of you have heard of this concept, The Seven Deadlies, today. We're not going to start on the first uh, of the deadlies. We're actually going to do an introduction to help us understand what sin is before we even get to these deadly or so-called deadly sins. And uh, talking about what sin is, you know, sin is, is a controversial thing today. It's amazing when you talk about it with different cultures and different backgrounds. Some people say it, they, they, they bemoan their sin, they're guilt-ridden, they're shame-filled. There's others that say that sin doesn't really exist. It's something that society has taught us over time, and it's guilt that you had that was placed upon you as a child. There's others that say that uh, there is no such thing as sin, and it's just whatever feels good, and you do. And the question is, is where do we find balance? I mean, where do we find root and guidance to really understand what sin is? Uh, because, I mean, the Bible says truly that sin I- exists, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. And it affects every single one of us without exception. And, and we might say, well, how does it affect me? Well, let me tell you a story and, and tell you how it affects us. On April 26, 1986, at a power plant, there was a power surge that occurred. The staff reacted and tried to shut down everything when there was an even bigger spike causing a split uh, in, in one of the, uh, and again, I'm not that familiar with power plants, but it caused a split and the radioactive materials actually started going up into the air and it permeated every part of the atmosphere. It affected the workers. It affected the groundwater, the rivers, the lakes, all of the, the plants and animals around were all affected by it. It was known as the greatest nuclear disaster in history. And that was known as Chernobyl. Many of us might be familiar with Chernobyl, and we know that there was, there was a, a, a reaction. What had happened is something that went into the air affected everyone around. Some, somehow, in some way, people were getting cancer. Some died. Uh, the environment was changed forever. See, what happened is in the, the beginning of time, Adam and Eve uh, did something similar in that when they bit of that fruit, there was a fallout that occurred. It sent something in to change the whole world as we know it that affects each one of us that we have been affected by their choice in many ways, and then we are then born sinners. And that we have this disposition to sin, a desire to sin each and every day. And our world is constantly fighting this understanding of what sin is and said, no, it feels good, do it. Don't don't believe that. They're saying uh, that it's not a bad thing and and you, you have this desire, you should fulfill it. And the Bible calls us back and shows us who we are and what sin is. And it serves as a guide for each one of us and how we are to live and what is sin and who we are and how we are to fight sin and how we are to live. So today, I want us to really tune in to see how did, I want us to talk about a few different things. First of all, what is sin? I want to talk about how sin entered into the world. I've given you a slight picture of it, but I want to expand that in more detail. I want to see how it affects each one of us. And I also want to talk about not just how it affects each one of us, but how, how, did, how far did it spread? Where did it go to? And then how, how do we deal with this sin in our lives? And we're going to be learning about that not just today, but in the weeks to come. Because every one of us in this room know what it's like to struggle with something, do we not? You have a desire that you deal with day in and day out. Matter of fact, you might have sinned right before you came here today. You might have had some type of sin and struggle and you feel guilt-ridden. It could have been last night. It could have been this week. And you have an unbelievable burden upon you. And you're saying, how do I deal with this sin? 
I know when I was younger, I would come to church and I would struggle. I would have some sin that I had done maybe that week or that day. Uh, and I'd walk in and I'd just feel helpless going, I want to hear from God about this. God, show me how I am to live. Show me how I can defeat this sin in my life. Because Lord, I can't go on unless you help me. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see because God gives us in his word and shows us where it begins, how it starts, how it affects each one of us, how it spreads into the world, and how we, as believers in Christ, can fight it. And we're going to we're tune in and look at that today. And, and I'm going to be jumping around to some passages. I'm going to use Romans 5 as a bit of a launching point. But we're going to, to start off with that, and then we're going to kind of spread into other uh, passages as we go to it. But before we go any further, let's ask God to bless our message time. So let's pray. Great God Almighty, Lord, you who have, you are the creator God, the, the sustaining God, the everlasting God. You are our shield, our strong tower, our ever-present help in time of need. You have fashioned us, you have made us uh, to find our joy in you. And Lord, we know that uh, sin that comes, it, it kills that joy that we have. And Lord, today we come to you asking you to speak to us. Lord, shine your, the light of your word upon us. Illuminate our hearts as the word of God is being spoken by your, the power of your Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, please draw us unto yourself that we truly might understand what sin is and how it affects each one of us and how we are to fight it. So Lord, glorify your name in our midst today. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna start off. We're in Romans chapter five. Now, we see here in Romans chapter five and the breeze is slightly blowing my bible but in romans chapter 5 we read that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man talking about one man that it entered into let me make sure that i have the passage here just therefore just as sin came into the world now let's talk before we go any uh, further we need to give an explanation of what sin is so if you have notes we don't have the powerpoint slides but let me r- tell you what the to fill in here there's an explanation that's the first thing we're going to look out look at the explanation and the next word is what is sin okay what is sin how do you define sin you know the bible doesn't give a definition like a straight up definition like sin noun this it doesn't do that it doesn't give that to us. Instead, it uses various descriptions and helping us see exactly what sin is. Matter of fact, the Bible uses several different words to describe what sin is. In the, in the Old Testament, there are about eight basic words. There's one called ra, which simply means bad. There is rasha, uh, wickedness. Asham, which means guilt. Chata, uh, which is just a straight definition of sin. Avon. Uh, which is iniquity. So if you ever have Avon products, it means you're using iniquity products, just in case the ladies wanted to know that. Um, Shagag, which means error. And then you have Ta, which means wander away. Pasha, which means rebel. Now, that's how the Old Testament describes it, but the New Testament uses several other words, actually uses 12 words to describe it. Uh, Kakos, which means bad. There's Poneros, uh, which is evil, asebes, which means godless, without God, inikos, which means guilt, hamartia, which means sin, uh, adikia, which is unrighteousness, anamos, which is lawlessness, parabates, which is transgression, and agnoen, which means to be ignorant. And then there's uh, plenan, to go astray, or paraptomai, which means to fall away, or hupokrates, which is 
hypocrite, meaning someone who knows something or says something and, and does another. In other words, we're giving a huge definition here or a description of sin. In, and and it's, it's a good way to put it. If we were to have a short definition, it is falling short of God's glory. It's not doing what God wants us to do. And, and, and we say, well, that's just a social construct. That's, that's not true. Well, you know, actually, the Bible says that there is a concept of right and wrong that's written on your hearts. According to Romans 1. Did you know that? Let me give you an illustration. You say you may not believe me. Let's go to the DMV. How many of you like going to the DMV? Anyone else like going to the DMV? I, I like it because it supports my understanding of the fall of man. And, and I go to the DMV, and there is a line at the DMV, and you're waiting in line patiently at the DMV when someone just walks into the front of the line. Now, you've already been there for 45 minutes. What are you going to do when someone walks in front of you in the DMV? Suddenly, you're going to become quite vocal. And you may not even speak to them. You might speak out loud. Someone thinks they're privileged. You, you might do that, right? There's, a, there's an innate thing within you that says that that is wrong, that you can't do that. That that's wrong. That's not fair, right? Now, we have that understanding because God has placed that within us. And, and if God has placed that within us, I mean, to understand what wrong is, for example, you have to understand what a perfect right is. For example, you don't know if you, get a, you take a test when you were in school and you get your, a, a 60 on your test, you don't know if 60 is good or bad until you know what perfect is, is 100. When you find out that there's 100, what perfect is, you realize that 60 is not so good right? So because you've established what a perfect is. God himself is perfect. So the standard is God. And that, that also proves, by the way, the existence of God, because you can't understand what evil is until you understand what a perfect good is. When you understand what a perfect good is, then you can understand what evil is. And so we look, we have to see, we look to God, who is a perfect good, and he shows us what is bad. And we know even within our hearts that there is a good and a bad. So we understand that it's, it's us falling short of God's glory, God's perfection. And it's sometimes referred to missing the mark or falling short of not doing the exact what God has for us. So we've kind of got a description of what sin is. It's, it's bad, right? Now, how did those sin enter into the world? Well, we talked just a bit about that when we're talking about Chernobyl. And we see within our text today, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So it's not a construction uh, socially. It's not something that was just taught to you. It's that something entered in through one guy. Now, that one guy is Adam. Adam is the, the very first man. The very first man. He was the, the head of all the human race that would ever be born. And he had a choice. If you remember, he was placed within the Garden of Eden. You might know the story, and if you don't, allow me to tell it to you. God made Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden. And um, it was, was paradise. It was perfect. And after he, he put him in the garden to work it and keep it, and Adam did it great. He did it really, really well. And God saw Adam, and God said, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created woman, Eve. And then Adam and Eve were co-regents, rulers of, of the creation, of caping, taking and uh, tending and keeping the garden, enjoying one another in a very blessed state. And God had given them great instructions to take the garden, eat of any of it, any of the trees you can eat from, any of them, by the way. And you don't know how many there were. We don't know if there were just dozens or if there's like orchards and orchards or if it's thousands. And God's saying, you can eat of any of the trees except that one right over there. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that eventually 
the serpent shows up, right? The serpent shows up, and, and, and it could be it was a, a very literal serpent, serpent, I believe it was. I believe it was a serpent that was probably walking around because you, you see that he's forced to slither afterwards. It's a penalty of it. And I think that the serpent was probably different than all of other creation because he's talking. And I think that Eve is wondering, wait a minute, none of the other animals are talking. And I also think, this is my own theory here, that he was eating of the fruit himself, and that made Eve go, wait, how come you are eating of the fruit, and you're talking, and no other animal is? God must be keeping something from me, because if you, a mere serpent, are eating this and talking, then what more of a benefit than I would have as a human being? And, and we know that she is deceived. She eats of the fruit. She gives it to Adam who eats of it. And something happened at that moment in time. It was known as the fall. See, through that one bite of fruit, that's where the, everything went up into the atmosphere in essence. Just like with the nuclear fallout. And it fell on everyone. And everyone became affected that would ever be born by this fallout of sin. Sin came into the world through him. It's like this. Uh, right now, at late tonight, it's going to get buggy outside, Right? And, and maybe you have a pet like I do who always wants to go out every 15 minutes. And I have this chain that I put my dog on to let him outside. I don't have a fenced-in backyard. And the dog cl- hits the bell, and then I go in and I open the door, and then I take the chain and I put the dog on there and I let him run outside. Now, let's say that I left the door, my sliding glass door open, and all the lights on in my house. What's going to happen? I mean, last night, I just did it for a minute. I go back in to get ready to get in bed, and my wife's like, look how the bugs you let in the house. Kill that bug. Kill that bug. That's why I married you. Kill the bugs. So killing these bugs that are coming in the house, right? But see, imagine that's, let's say that Adam opened the door for a big, giant, I mean, it's like every bug imaginable comes in then. And it goes to every room of your house. See, that's what Adam did. He opened that door. Sin entered the world through him. He opened that door. And once that door was open, he couldn't shut it. It was stuck. It was off the track. He couldn't get it back in. So these bugs come in. That's what's centering into the world. It comes in. You can't change it now. They're in there. And so we see that Adam is the one who opened that door. And that now has spread everywhere. See, that's the extent. If we're going to look at number three in your notes, this is the extent. How far did it spread? Who did it affect? Is it just us? No, we see that it affects every part of our humanity affected all aspects of the world. Just like Chernobyl, that affected everything. The fallout affected everything. It affected the groundwater, affected the rivers, it affected the plants and animals, it affected all the humans, and some it affected immediately where some actually died, the cleanup workers, while others are getting cancer over time, and it spread to every single person who has ever lived. There has never been one person on the face of the earth who has not had sin. Well, let me check that. There's only been one person, and that is Jesus. Jesus, matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it says that he had no sin at all. He was without sin completely. Yet he came to identify with us. That's why when he got baptized by John the Baptist, see, baptism is a symbol of turning from one's sin and turning unto God. But Jesus had no sin to turn from. Why did he do it? To identify with us, to grab a hold of us. And so that's why he had to be the God-man, by the way. It's like this. Imagine you're in a raging rapid, and you got thrown out of the boat, 
and you're drifting down the water, and no one could reach out to save you because all of the people are, are going on the river just like you are, getting carried by. But you see one person, he's got his hand on the shore, he's got one foot on the shore and one foot in the water, and he reaches out and grabs you. See, that's Jesus. He had one foot, it was God, he's God, but yet he reaches out into man, crosses into us, and pulls us out. That's what he does. Jesus is the God-man. And so he understood that it spread to all people, all aspects of creation. It, it spread to all of creation. That's why the world is not as it should be. That's why we have disasters. That's why we have evil. That's why we have struggles and suffering. It affects every single part of our humanity. That's what sin does. It spread to every single cell of creation. Now, it didn't just affect Adam and Eve, but it's transmitted onto our children. Just like you pass down characteristics to your kids, right? That, that Rosas nose or that, you know, that Johnson foot or whatever it is. You see it when you look at your kids, right? And everybody says, well, who does the child look like? That's what they did with my kids. They went, I'm so glad she looks like her mother. Um, that's what they did time and time again. But we pass down these characteristics of who we are in our humanity. But spiritually, it's even more so. We've passed on our disobedience, our propensity to sin. We pass that on to our kids, and you learn, they, children learn it from a young age. I was uh, in Egypt several years ago, and I, I was studying the early African church on a study trip, and my roommate and I were, uh, were not getting along very well, and we were talking about sin and talking about the fall, and I said, you know, there is an understanding we've inherited this sinful nature, and uh, this sinful nature we've inherited from our parents and he goes, no, you didn't, you, you, that you taught it to your kids. I said, I didn't, I said, my child, I didn't teach my child to lie. He goes, you learned it from somewhere. I said, you don't have children, do you? He said, no, I don't. I said, then you, you really don't get it. Because children, like if you, catch my, if you catch your child doing something they're not supposed to do, what do they say? Did you do that? No. Automatically they did it because they know that they're in trouble. So they, they, they decide to do this. So we have this, we see we pass it on uh, down to our children. And we see this also in the Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. Not just some. All have sinned. And it's interesting in that Greek word. It, it, pat, it points back to a certain period of time that has continuing results. And it's pointing back to Adam. Each one of us sinned in Adam. But it says presently we fall short of the glory of God. We still choose to sin. Each one of us chooses to sin day in and day out. We all have that capacity because of how the fallout has affected us. Now, talking about the effect, let's look at that. Point four, the effect. How does it stain us? That's, look at that, the effect. E-F-F-E-C-T. How does this fall stain us? How does sin stain us? It stains us all in different ways that seem natural to each one of us. It could be pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, Sloth, that's just the big seven. But those are, those are the usual suspects, but there's many more. You know your struggle. It might be alcohol. You might be struggling. You might think you're, you might be a drunk. You might be just taking alcohol to medicate yourself day in and day out or just forget about what's going on. Now, is alcohol bad? No, God created it and it's good. But it's the excess of it, the abuse of it. The same with food. The same with food. You can overeat or undereat. You can become a glutton or an anorexic. These are still ways that the fall affects us. You might just be vain, vanity, in love with yourself. That's an aspect of the fall. It's part of the fallout. It's like a spiritual cancer. And everyone has a spiritual cancer that goes to every single one of us. 
It affects us in different ways. Just like one might get prostate cancer or ovarian cancer or lung cancer or brain cancer. It's all cancer. It just comes out in different ways. Same with sin. You might, yours might be lying. Yours might be stealing. Yours might be fornication. Yours might be same-sex attraction. Yours might be, you might have an attraction to children or animals. It sounds, I mean, sounds gross, but all of our sin is gross in the sight of God. Yours might be gossip or stealing or lying or manipulation. And there's all these subparts to it as well. And we all have that. At, we all have that capacity. It stains every one of us. It's a cancer that every one of us has, and it's not benign. It is malignant and are going to kill us. That's the same is true of sin. It's just like cancer. Now, your spiritual cancer could be jealousy, gossip, foul language, idol worship, pornography, fornication, you name it. And it's deadly. And the more we engage that cancer or leave it untreated, the more it spreads to other areas of our lives. See, that what's make, that's what makes cancer so deadly. As we read in James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, some people say, well, the devil tempts me. Yes, but see, the devil is like a fisherman. He likes to take the hook and he finds what your particular bait is effective and how it, is, it helps other people. So he might, pat, he might find out what your bait is. Say that he goes, your bait might be lust. Your bait might be food. Your bait might be stealing. Your bait might be lust, whatever it might be. And he's going to find out what that bait is and then pass and use that to hook you. And it's, he uses our own fallen desires to bring us down. But we have to fight it. Because, see, once we engage that sin, that leads to other sin. That's why we have to cut that off and treat it and nail it. When I, when I was a boy, and some of you might know this, uh, my father was diagnosed with cancer. He Actually, before he was diagnosed, he started just feeling really bad. He was having a hard time breathing, going through all this stuff. Finally, he went to the doctor in August, and they went to him, and they said, you have lung cancer. Uh, and it's, you know what? It, it's a little late, and it need, you, you didn't come in as soon as you were supposed to, and now it's spread to your entire body. It's gone to your brain. Now, see, if he would have treated it and dealt with it early on, it wouldn't have spread everywhere else. See, when we continue to gauge our sin, it leads to other sins. Just like the person, let's go back to the drunk. The drunk might be engaging in this, and uh, he might just be getting drunk, and then it might lead to adultery, and then it might lead to stealing because to support his habit or whatever it might be or, or deception. See, it always goes on. It is a downward spiral of disobedience that it leads to. And all sin always leads to other sin. So we have to understand that in order to deal with it. And the penalty for this spiritual cancer is the same as physical cancer, death. However, this is not just physical death, it is a spiritual one. And it's one that's much more deadly because the end result is eternal separation from God. He will give us over to what sin really is, a life without God. And when we sin, we are saying that we want life apart from God. That's what we're saying is we're saying, God, we don't want this. That's what you see going on today, by the way. When we see go, this whole bathroom debate that we have going on in our culture, we see going on, and we see it in every different facet, is basically people saying, this is how I want to live. This is how I'm going to define the parameters. I want to cut off a life from you, God. It's rebellion is what it is. It's saying that I want to live life on my own terms. 
I don't want your parameters, God. I don't want that. I want what I want, as Woody Allen said, to justify his committing adultery with his adopted daughter, said the heart wants what it wants. And what does Jeremiah say? The heart is deceptively wicked. It's sick. And we can say our heart wants what it wants all the time, but our heart's not right because it has been stained by the fallout. It's been affected by it. It's been polluted. We need to understand that. So we have to understand, though, that God, though, has given us, of his, he's given us his son. He has given us so many different abilities to have, too, to understand, to love. And he sees us in the midst of our state because really we're condemned. If we're going to shake our fist at God, we have to understand that God is patient, not wanting any to, to be damned, to be under his wrath. I mean, we, people are like, well, wait a minute. So let me get this straight. So I sin, but you know what? I sin, and I see this guy sin all the time, and nothing happens to him. It's life seems to be great. See, God has given and been kind to us. He's enabled us to all be beneficiaries of the gifts that he's given in the hope that we might seek him. Did you under, do you know that? I mean, think about it. We have the, the green leaves on the tree. We have the blue sky. I mean, we have the green grass, the sunshine. It's beautiful. God has given all of us this so that we might seek his face. To give you an idea of this, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to this group of men from uh, Athens, Greece, and he says this, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God. God did all this and blessed man so much that man might seek him. And perhaps, he goes on, feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands, not asks, commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, what's he saying there? He's saying that he has created us, he's given us all these wonderful things, but we still love our sin and turn away from him day in and day out. And God has still blessed us. He is, he is, his loving kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, that we might see how beautiful he is, how wonderful he is, see how he's ordered the world in the hope that we might turn to him. But he knows that we still can't get to God on our own. That's why he sent his son. See, we've talked about all aspects of sin and what it is. We've talked about, we've given an explanation of sin or a description of it. What is it? We've looked at it, how it entered into the world and how it started. We looked at how far it spread and how it stained every one of us. But now we get to the last question we have to ask ourselves. 
how are we saved? And that is known as the expiation. The expiation, how are we saved? And that word is E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. It's not a word we use very often, but let me explain the word to you. It refers to the act of making amends or reparations for guilt or having done wrong. Other words, otherwise known as atonement. See, God knew that we couldn't pay the price he required. We couldn't make it right by doing enough good deeds or living the best life. We would have to face God in his awful wrath, but we can't on our own. So he sent his son for us to take the wrath of God in our place. We get a picture of this in a story that Tony Evans once told, pastor in Dallas, Texas. He said, it's about a man who was out with his wife and kids, and they got caught in a terrible hailstorm. This was a massive hailstorm. The hail was as large as baseballs. And under the deluge coming against them, the man realized that if he didn't do something, his wife would be severely hurt. So he quickly draped himself over his wife, covering her with his own body, so that instead of the so- storm hitting his wife, it hit him. The hailstorm seemed to get hailstones seemed to get bigger as the man bent over his wife, protecting her. The large balls came down harder onto the man. They hurt him badly, and after a couple of minutes, his ears started bleeding, along with some spots on his head. That's how big these are. The man tried to lead his wife to safety, but the stones were coming out faster and harder. The pounding stones took their toll, weakened by the onslaught. The man finally collapsed over his wife, only able to shield her from the danger. And after the storm was over, the man was left with scars from where the balls had battered away at him. The remnants of sores, cuts, and abrasions would forever be reminders to him of the day he saved his wife. It's a true story. And on the local newscast, the man's wife was asked how she felt about their experience. And she said, every time I look at the scar on his head, on his neck, and on his ear, I love him more. Every time I see the scar, I love him more because he sacrificed himself for me. See, when you and I get to heaven, Jesus will be the only person in eternity with scars. He will have holes in his hands and holes in his feet and a hole in his side. He will be your eternal reminder that the only reason you are there is because of not of the good deeds that you have done, because you will never do enough good deeds. You'll never be good enough. But it's because that you believed in him who took the wrath of God upon himself. He stood in between the wrath of God and judgment headed your way. He covered you with his love. And allowed none of the hail to damage you. He was disfigured for you. That is the love of Jesus. That is the love of God playing out. How are we saved? By trusting in him who took the wrath of God upon himself for you and I. See, we all struggle with sins. And we're going to be going through this in the next few weeks as we examine each one in detail. As we're going to be looking at a different biblical character and examining how that sin was within their life. But we see at the very beginning of this, we see what sin is. We see how it's entered into the world. We see how it's spread and affected each one of us. But we see also at the very beginning of this series that God understood our sin and sent his son to take our sins upon himself. That's what happened on the cross for you and I. That Jesus took all of your sins, every sin you have ever done, every bad word, every horrible thought, every adulterous action, every time that you were drunk or intoxicated or you stole something or gossiped about someone, no matter what you have done, he has taken that upon himself for you. He took that penalty for you. He loves you that much 
Isn't that an amazing thing? That should cause us to celebrate, cause us to cheer, to cause us to shout that God, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him, by faith in him, we can become the very righteousness of God. How are we saved? By believing in what Jesus has done for us. That he paid the price for our sin, that he died the death that we deserved. But this is where all the, the newness comes in. This is where the life comes in. He rose from the dead. He showed his victory over sin by his resurrection from the dead. It's not that we have a hope in a man who died on the cross. We have a hope in a man who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And he now gives hope and life and offers to forgive your sin, to take it away from you, to cleanse you from your guilt, to remove you from your shame, to make you clean, to separate, to to free you from the power of sin over you. You might be a drunk. You might be doing drugs day in and day out. You might be just engaging and in, 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 in taking in food all the time and drowning your sorrows in food or drugs or drink. Or maybe it's pornography. Or maybe it's gossip and bringing other people down. Maybe it's a desire to manipulate and control people. Whatever it is, he's taken that upon himself. And by his death, the cord of sin, that chain was broken. And that you can have new life and freedom in him. And we're going to learn this week how to fight that sin. Actually, next several weeks, how to fight that sin. How to live the life that God wants us to do. To say no to temptation and to live in the life that God has for us. And it's for each one of us here today. It doesn't matter what your background is, what what language you speak, what education level you got, whether you've been in prison, you've been in jail, you've been a stripper or a hooker or a drug addict or a drug dealer, or maybe you've just been a a secret liar or a self-righteous person who's been in the church your whole life. All of that is put upon him on the cross, and he offers you eternal life in and through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what he offers. He gives us hope. That's where our hope lies. And that should, it's a deadly sin, yes, but Jesus died to save us from those sins that we might have new life in him. And he offers that to you. How are you saved? Scripture is very clear that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved transformed in an instant, a new creation, a new creature. Your sins are forgiven, your past is forgotten, and God makes you new. He cleanses you. He changes you. He puts a spirit within you to help you live that life that God wants you to live and helps you to be a totally brand new person. That's something to celebrate for. That's something to shout about. That's something to thank God for. So as we go into this series, I, I hope that you can come out for each one as we're going to be going through pride, envy, greed, sloth. We're going through each one of known as the seven deadly sins and seeing what God has and how he has transformed us and able to be us to be free from those sins and live the life that God wants us to live. Let's close our message time in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, Lord, I I know that you're speaking and talking to people's hearts as your word is being preached because you have promised to do so. That your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it cuts us to the core of who we are. Lord, we see that we are sinners by nature and by choice, afflicted by these original sins that have stained us. Lord, we know that we've gone through that fallout, that we've been affected all in different ways. Maybe it's been different spiritual cancers that seem so natural to us, but we know that, Lord, we have to fight it. We have to put it to death by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit. So, Lord, I pray today if there's someone here who does not yet know you, who has not yet received you as Lord and Savior of their life, 
Lord, I pray that you play, place a conviction upon them that they might believe in the one that you have sent, and that is Jesus Christ. That they might repent of their sins and receive him as Lord and Savior. And for those that are here today that have been walking with you, but yet they might have backslidden, they might have let sin creep into their lives. Lord, I pray that you convict them and draw them near to yourself. Help us to live the life that you want us to live. And Lord, to to understand that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, please forgive us, remove our shame, remove our guilt. Help us to find freedom and newness of you. And Lord, for those that are still trapped in the cords and the chains of their sin, I pray, I pray, Lord, that they might be have a holy conviction and that they might not hold on, but they might turn to you and you might show yourself to be the one who sets them free. So Lord, glorify your name in our midst. Bless us as we go through this time together. Be with us the rest of the day and in the week to come. And Lord, open our hearts to receive the truth of your word that we might go forth changed vessels declaring your glory and walking in joy with you. We ask you to use us now in Jesus' name. Amen.